Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 2015 live action remake of the Disney cartoon Cinderella. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast as we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that some elements of the plot and of the content of the film Cinderella will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It is Thursday, but a full week before this episode will go out, so we won't have seen any of the results of the hashtag cage challenge, will we? I know, and I'm I'm really excited to see what people come up with. Um, I I saw your your entry, Paddy. I saw your version of it uh, today. What did you think? And uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. So what happens if I win? Um, well, I don't think we can win. Um, unless we think that all the entries are so bad that they don't deserve a prize. It would seem like a bit of a, a Putin situation, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are... It would turn our... Um, it, it, it would turn our podcast into post-Soviet Union Russia. Yep. Which means that we would have to host the World Cup this year, and I don't think that we're prepared for that. Yeah, I don't think I could handle any football match in my garden. I don't think there's quite enough space. We don't even have a garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there's a communal garden out the back, but it's kind of a long strip of land. It's only about two or three metres wide. So you could make a sort of rudimentary pitch out of that, but once all the players got on it... There wouldn't be much room to move. That would be quite fun, actually, though. Like, we could, we could start a new sport called Tiny Football. Compact Football. Compact Football, yeah. Yeah, that I sounds that like could um, go down really well. <laughs> that sounds like a video game from the 90s. Like, oh, man, remember when we used to play Compact Football? Man, the, those were the days. Like Sensible Soccer. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I really miss... Um... I really miss those kind of games from the 90s, like the sports games. Um, Because like nowadays, the only sports games you really get are um, are like serious simulations. So like your FIFAs or your Pro Evos or your MLB, the shows, that kind of stuff where it's all supposed to be realistic. And outside of Mario... As far as I know... The only people who play FIFA or Pro Evo, they're massively popular games, but the only people who play them are people who somehow manage to have girlfriends, but play the game all the time so that their girlfriends hate them. <laughs> well, I, th- I think um, FIFA manages to... It's one of those games that people who don't identify themselves as video game fans play. Um, or like like I, I play FIFA, I, I think out of all of the game series of all time, FIFA's probably the one that I've played the most of, because it's one of those game series where you can just pick it up for half an hour and play it and then be done with it. 
Um, but I think people who wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, I'm a gamer. I love video games. Video games are the best. Uh, ethics in games journalism. Those kinds of people. Um, Actually, it's about ethics in foot sport. sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I th but I think like generally people who play FIFA, they don't necessarily go all in on the gamer sort of like no identity which is why they're so popular is they they kind of transcend that but i but i miss they're lads, the days aren't they? yeah lads who play you play a bit of um bit of kicky kicky ball action and a bit of um bit of um oh, what's it call of duty a bit of shoot shooty man war action because that's manly but they'd never be seen dead playing like an rpg or anything yeah, so it's interesting the games that manage to sort of jump those boundaries. So you've got like, you've got FIFA, you've got Call of Duty and Battlefield. Now you've got games like, um, like Fortnite and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which are both online multiplayer battle royale games, um, and they've both become incredibly popular. Particularly Fortnite, um, where where people like Roseanne Barr and Drake <laughs> play it. Is that the um, one that's free to play? It's free to play, yeah. Um, See, I then, think that's really there's... awesome, just because that, that brings so many people together t to enjoy a fun thing. I think it's really wonderful that that's free. And and it's quite a polished game as well, all things considered. Um, it's quite it's quite a fun experience. Um, there's a new one out as well called Sea of Thieves, which is all it's basically a pirate game, a multiplayer pirate game, and that seems to be, again, getting in a huge number of people. Um, so yeah, the, so there are these games that kind of jump beyond it. Grand Theft Auto is another one where like you'll have people who play just Grand Theft Auto. Um, but I do miss the days of silly sports games. Um, so like like those really over-the-top games, like when NBA Jam was a big thing or you had like Mut Mutant League Hockey and Mutant League Football, that kind of stuff just doesn't exist anymore apart from like rehashes of those games. Um, although there was a very fun football game released last year called Behold the Kick Men. Yes, um, I, and uh, friend, my friend Ben, who I think listens to the podcast. Hi Ben, he um, showed me that game, and I thought it was the funniest thing that I'd ever seen. Yeah, I, when I was playing it, I was thinking this is the kind of football game that Paddy could get on board with. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's really funny because because it's I, I don't think it's necessarily true, but it's billed as a football game built by someone who's never been interested in football. But like the level of comedy in it, it's too um, it's too deliberately not football related. So like they've clearly gone out of their way to do things that are very anti-football and it makes it so much fun. It's a really fun game. Um, but yeah, I miss games like that. I'd I, one of one of my ideas for a video game was just to make um, a, a, a football game where everything you do, you can cheat as much as possible. So like the whole game is like diving as much as you can badly tackling the other players that kind of stuff um because like it's it's an area like cheating in sport is an area that isn't really dealt with in simulators even though it happens in real life so i'd love to make a game based all around that so like you get bonus points if you dive successfully and dupe the referee that kind of thing yeah at the beginning of the game you have a choice of all different kinds of spikes and you can have like really dangerous goth spikes that can actually like kill people on the bottom of your shoes I'd go for that. Yeah, I think that would be really good fun. And like, yeah, there were games in the 90s that did that kind of thing, like Mutantly Cocky, where you could like push opponent, opponents into holes in the ice and they get eaten by tentacle monsters and things like that. 
So yeah, come on, come on, game developers with more talent than I. Yeah, uh, sort it out. Make these games. We're crying out for it. Not literally. I am. I'm literally here at night going. <laughs> Is that how you cry out? That's how I cry out. <laughs> you sound like Johnny Vegas. <laughs> Johnny <laughs> Vegas wants these games. And then that was more like <laughs> some kind of cow horse. <laughs> cow horse. Cow horse Vegas. Have you? <laughs> that's my. Um, that's the name of the game. Cow Horse Vegas. <laughs> I'm on board. Uh, have you ever played the MLB The Show game? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Um, I, I it's generally bloody find, impossible. I generally find baseball games to be the most boring sports games. So um, difficult. It genuinely, I find it easier to hit an actual hundred mile an hour fastball in real life than to hit a ball on MLB The Show. It is so difficult. Well, I, I find with like with with baseball games it's basically just a quick time event so tap the button at the right time yeah but the window is incredibly small to do it and i just find it so boring um it's really frustrating and yeah stupid. whereas it's like a get, it's a, a physical sport that's not easy to translate to you know to, to a video game i don't know that there's a better way to do it really I yeah it's I, just I, a difficult one I, I can't think of a way to because obviously games like football, uh, ice hockey, basketball, um, you can add additional layers to that and make it like a fluid gaming experience. Whereas like I can't see a way that baseball, a video game based on baseball could really move beyond what was available in the 16 bit era. And like looking at the way that they play and the way that they function, I haven't played a baseball game in about three years, I suppose. But the last time I played it, it basically played exactly the same way as the ones I played back on, like, yeah. the Super Nintendo. The gameplay is more or less exactly the same. It's just that it has all the players and the stats from now, and it looks nice. It's pretty much exactly the same. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't really have that much time for baseball games, but I find that a yeah. lot of other sports sims are quite fun. Ice hockey games are underrated. Ice hockey games are always really good fun. Yeah. There was one, we had one on the Mega Drive, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was really good. We also have Brian Lara Cricket. Oh, Brian Lara Cricket. Very boring and tedious game. (laughs) But somehow that was still better than the baseball games. And I don't know how, because it effectively played in the same way. Especially as cricket Um, is baseball, but boring. (laughs) I'd say they're on par with one another. Nah. I, I find that like cricket is what happens if you miss, if you mix like baseball with the laid back approach of golf. And I, I have a lot of time for that. I have a lot of time for a sport that's just like, eh, it's cool, we'll stop and have some sandwiches. Oh, it looks like there's some clouds in the sky. We better stop. Yeah. Um, I, I have Go- a lot of golf. time for that. Golf is so worryingly laid back that it's played by the President of the United States on an almost daily basis. <laughs> Gives him time to think, Paddy. He doesn't think. There's no, there's no, there's no <laughs> thoughts going on in there. There's nothing rattling around inside that empty vessel. You know what's going through Trump's head? What is going through his head? The idiot train. Uh, I'm sexy and I know it by MFA. <laughs> <laughs> just constantly on yeah. a loop. Just. Why I didn't realise until I went to make that video for the Cage Challenge 
is how long that song takes to kind of get to the bit where it goes the, to the drop, basically. I yeah, thought it would only be about 30 seconds, but it's at least over a minute. It's got tension to it. They know how to build up. Yeah. They learned from uh-huh. Hitchcock, I think. <laughs> yeah. Hitchcock's last film was going to be called LMFAO, but then he died. <laughs> I'm Hitchcock and I know it. And then, yeah, it'd be that song, but it's just, instead of all the synths, it's all sound effects made from, like, household objects. Just, oh, it's, um, it's birds. Just birds screeching. (laughs) There's a market for that in the the YouTube meme circle, surely. You know, people watch all those goat videos endlessly. I mean, I I love a good goat video. Um, Yeah. But yeah, like yeah, we could invent a whole new subgenre of music called Hitchcock core. Hitchcore. Yeah, Hitchcore. Yeah. I think we could find find a good audience. You've got like Witch House. It's only one step beyond yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Although as we demonstrated a few episodes ago, I sometimes lose the ability to say the word Hitchcock, so I don't think that it's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Hedgehog core. Hedge hitch hitchhog. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, but hopefully at this stage the cage challenge is progressing well. We'll leave it open for another week or two. I want to get lots of entries in, but thank you if you've made a cage video and we hope you're enjoying them and appreciating the the sexiness of Nicolas Cage that he is aware of. Yes, and if you haven't got on board with it yet, what are you playing at? Come on. What are you doing? Yeah. It it, it you don't have to be Steven Spielberg to make one of these videos. No, um, you don't even have to change simple. the video file. No, it's just it's just changing the audio for beautiful Nicolas Cage's uh, playing to Easy. whatever you want, as long Couldn't as it's funny. Easier. As long as it's funny, yeah. If it makes us laugh, I don't want it. you have succeeded. Yeah, I don't want no unfunny music in there. Yeah, if you're going to put like Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley in there, just get out. Yeah. I love Jeff Buckley, but man. There's a time and a place, and that is not with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Although, actually, they were talking about making a Jeff Buckley like biopic film for years, haven't they? Do you reckon they Cage have, can pull yeah. it off? <laughs> I think he's probably <laughs> 30 years too old by this point. Um, who who would be good at playing Jeff Buckley? I don't know. And I was just, I would, now that I've said that, I was just thinking that. Someone you need yeah. someone like Andrew Garfield, don't you? Where they're you know, like young young looking. You know who would have been really good for it? Who? Anton Yelkin would have been. Oh wonderful. yes. He's yeah. got the same kind of face to him. He's got that same kind of energy. Yeah. And um Ethan Hawke again, but he's too old now. Yeah, if Ethan Hawke was younger. He could play old Buck old Jeff Buckley. But Jeff Buckley never got old. It'd be like a force ghost situation. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Adam Driver's kind of got the same kind of thing going on. He could do it. I but I don't know if... I don't know if he's... His voice might be a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, because you need someone who could sing and do all the stuff in real life, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Hmm. Hmm. They did. What they about... did apparently once have Penn Badgley signed up to play him. Isn't that uh, the the joke man from Easy A? 
Yeah, who who also <laughs> his name sounds like what would happen if you were trying to think up a fake name whilst you were at a conference <laughs> and looking around at what was in the pockets of the people around you. Hi, I'm Pen Badger the Pen Badgley. <laughs> so someone holding a badger. <laughs> or it's at the like annual badger conference or whatever. Yeah, there must be a, a conference for academics who are interested in badgers, and Brian May headlines every year. Yeah, I could. Yeah, badgercon. Badgercon. Um, yeah, and it um, happens at night because they're nocturnal. I get like I'm thinking of more. James Franco again would be a good one, but he's too old now, isn't he? Yeah, and isn't he on the perv list? He is, like he's he he figures on on that list. Yeah. Um. But yeah, oh, difficult, isn't it? Come on. Hmm. We'll think of someone. Yeah. Uh, I still feel like no one's coming up better than Nicolas Cage, but you know that's the case <laughs> for most roles, isn't it? I think you'll find that everyone is coming up better than Nicolas Cage. <laughs> So, also, what about that guy who played the prince in the live-action Cinderella that we're going to talk about? I can't even remember his name, but I reckon he could he could do it if he could sing. Richard Madden is his name, and actually, I am one hundred percent on board with that decision. Paddy, you have cast our Jeff Buckley. Um, Let's get on. You were going to say Richard Madeley. (laughs) (laughs) Richard Madeley is his name. Um, let, let's get in touch with his representatives and be like, "Hey, do you want to um, do you want to do you want to come play Jeff Buckley? We we have no rights to the movie, but we want you to do it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, come on, dude, get on board. So so Richard Madden, of course, um, he was in Game of Thrones. He played Rob Stark. Right. I've still, um, as you know, never seen any of it. Not read any of the books. I feel like I might get around to it one day, but it's unlikely. So he's a, he's give, a, he... give me the lowdown on him in Game of Thrones. Do people like his, him and his character? Is he is he a nasty man? That kind of thing. He, he is a he is a good man. He's one of the good guys. Um, unfortunately, oh. he's one of the good guys in the story when only bad things happen to the good guys. Um, so so his father gets betrayed and killed, um, and so he becomes he basically starts an uprising in the north of the kingdom. Uh, and proclaims himself the king of the north and he starts moving down the country to take over and get rid of the corrupt government and everything like that and it's all going very well um until he's supposed to marry someone for political means but then doesn't and decides to marry someone else and at and at his wedding um it's an event known as the red wedding for reasons that you can probably guess why a wedding a wedding would be called a wed a, a red wedding uh, uh, <laughs> Reading Festival. Um, uh, basically, um, it turns out that the person who he had the deal with to get married, um, that family, they have now sold him out and have sold out his location to the 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 people who run the kingdom, and uh, they all turn up at the wedding and kill him and all of his family. Oh shit! Um, and it's really horrible. <laughs> it's like the second most horrible. It's the second most horrible, shocking scene in Game of Thrones out of all of the horrible, shocking scenes. And it's incredibly it's a- well done. It um, sounds about as harrowing as some of the experiences I had at the Reading Festival when I was in my <laughs> teens. It's true, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I was thinking of doing that, Paddy, um, at your wedding. Um, uh, getting getting in touch with your mortal enemies and being like, this is where Paddy's getting married. If you know you want to turn up and moon him, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I do my not. mortal enemies, the mooning club. <laughs> I was going to be like, hey, Jacob Reese Mogg, this is Paddy's wedding. Oh shit! Yeah, and then he he'd turn up with all his nineteen children, and they'd all moon me in a line in high order. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, speaking of Jason, J- Jason Rees-Mogg. Jason, Jason Rees-Mogg. <laughs> Jason Rees-Mogg. Um, that's the, that's the, that's Jacob's younger brother who went off to become like an adventurous archaeologist. And he, yeah. he's perpetually embarrassed of his older brother, who's just a, a creepy bigot. Um, uh, 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 Jacob creepy Re- fishy bigot. Yeah, uh, the uh, so Jacob Rees-Mogg was taking part with all of the other idiot old people politicians in uh, a protest against the fact that there's been some movement forward with regards to Brexit. So our entire our entire economy isn't immediately going to fall over uh, when we officially leave the EU, um, and they're really angry because they don't really understand how fishing works. Um, and so they were going to run a uh, a big old protest where they'd get on a boat on the Thames and then throw some fish off it into the sea, uh, into the into the river, which is pretty much the best um, metaphor for Brexit. Um, a bunch of old rich people throwing away something perfectly good out of spite and out of their own egos. Um, but uh, but yeah, he couldn't get on the boat in the end uh, because he hadn't declared it in advance. So it wasn't actually legal for him to do it. Um, a hubristic display of something that you had no plan for. Who'd have yeah, thought? Yeah. <laughs> it's Brexit, everybody. Coming from um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who would have thought? Yeah, and uh, he so he had to then just wander off looking a bit sheepish because he couldn't actually do the thing that he planned for. Um, this is the person who some people think should be prime minister, someone who can't even organise a mild protest. He can't um, even get on a boat. He can't. He can't even get on a boat and throw a fish. Is this I mean, the man I, you really want running your country? I don't think much of Theresa May, but I reckon she would have got on that boat and she would have thrown the fish the furthest. Yeah, I think she'd have I'll, won the fish throwing competition. Out of all of the idiots who got on that boat, and and you know, I'm I'm not going to mince my words here. They're a bunch of fucking idiots. You've got people like Nigel Farage on this boat. Um, real bottom feeders to continue the sea-based metaphors here. Um, slippery eels. Yeah, slippery eels. Um, Nigel Farage, of course, also looks like an amphibian. He looks like Baron <laughs> Silas von Greenback from Danger Mouse. Um, why would you trust someone who looks like yeah. that? People of Britain, people of the world. That he neck, looks like a those, those jowls. Villain. Those jowls are hiding some kind of fucking gills under there, definitely. <laughs> when he gets angry, it grows and he starts ribbiting like a frog. This is this is actual fact. I have seen it with my two eyes. Um, I was walking down the streets of London um, and down an alleyway. There he was. There was Nigel Farage skulking in the dark. I shone my torch down and his, his eyes went black and he hissed at me and then he started ribbiting and his his jowly throat started growing and growing and growing like an abscess. Um, <laughs> this is this is true. This is true speech right here. 
Uh, you don't get no fake news on this podcast. No, everything we say is 100% true. You can take that as fact. You can't trust any other source but us. Um, And we are bringing to you the news that Nigel Farage is some kind of amphibian demon who scowls around London um, eating out of trash cans. You heard it. You heard it here first. If you're very quiet at about 2.30 in the morning and you listen, you can hear someone going, The EU. The EU. Rip it. Rip it. Rip it. (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Nigel Farage. Bring back shillings. (laughs) Blue passports. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, the latest (laughs) thing today is that, oh, the... Blue bringing back blue passports is now a thing, even though blue passports a were never a thing, and the EU never mandated the colour of your passport. So the passports became burgundy when we joined the EU, just for a change or whatever. Like we still could have changed it anyway. So now they've said, yeah, we'll give you your blue passports, you stupid pricks, because that's obviously the only thing you care about. But it turns out they're going to be made by a, fr- a Franco-Dutch company. Yay! Yeah, and at the moment they're made by an English company that hires about 600 people in the UK to do it. Um, and now instead they're going to be made by a European company with about 70 people in the UK. Um, so well done, guys. <laughs> well done. Um, that's your Brexit. Really, really good job. Um, it's definitely not a microcosm of a larger issue where it's going to make the country much more susceptible to dodgy dealings from outside companies. Um, Definitely not at all. Um, I can't wait to get my blue passport. I, I can't wait either because, you know, we both are at an age where we have only had burgundy passports. So for us, uh, the blue passport is the alien weird new one. We've never been um, complete. It's like being born without a foot. Yeah, um, because that is the most important thing in the world. Um, I would definitely rather have a navy blue passport and not have access to freedom of movement around Europe. Um, I would much rather not have uh, the level of security that the EU provides, um, the excellent ways in which the EU is pushing green energy and renewable energy, um, and the way that it's making Europe more self-sufficient without turning to dangerous outside factors. Um, I'd much rather have a blue passport um, and eat chlorinated chicken and rely on arms deals with uh, with the like, United Arab Emirates and Dubai. Um, that's what I want out of my country. You know. Well, you know, we're going to have to go groveling to the US and we're all going, every single British person is going to have to line up in front of Donald Trump on a golf course and sing to him that he's sexy and he knows it. And that's a small price to pay to get a blue passport. Yeah. And and remember all the while, um, Demon Frog Farage is going to be there, um, just hiding under a cowl, uh, ribbiting away in glee as his master gets a song sung for him. Again, this is this is all true, by the way. This yeah. is what's going to happen. True. Um, Everything on this podcast is true. Uh, you know what is true, Paddy? What? I quite like Cinderella. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah this is a very yeah. This is a very very interesting choice. Because um, I'd seen it only once before, and I thought it was okay. But this time, I didn't really like it as much. It left me a little bit cold, actually. Oh, really? Oh, see, yeah. I find that I enjoy it more each time I watch it. So this is probably the third time that I've seen this film. And the first time I watched it, I thought, yeah, this is all right. I mean, it's obviously vastly better than the original um, animated movie. 
which is just incredibly boring. Um, and uh, and you know, it's got some nice performances in it, and it's got some some actual characters in it. Um, and yeah, each time I find it a little more interesting. I, I pay a little bit more attention to the direction each time, and like, oh yeah, okay. That's interesting that you said that the animated film is also boring because I thought maybe if you seem to like it a little bit more than I do, I thought that might have been because you perhaps had a nostalgic connection to the the cartoon film or enjoyed the cartoon, um, the Disney cartoon that it's based on, but that's not the case. No, I find that Cinderella is probably the the least interesting of the early Disney films. Um, yeah, I Apart agree. from maybe Sleeping Beauty... Oh, oh, how how very dare you. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty is is very good. Sleeping Beauty's on a whole other level. On the level of scared me shitless when I was a kid. Oh, I mean, but yeah, it's got the scares really too, which it. I like. Um it's got the that's the one with the big nasty dragon and uh yeah. and stuff like that, which I yeah. appreciate. But I find that Sleeping Beauty herself is a bit of a damp squib. Um, oh, as yeah, none of the characters in those ones are, are particularly well well drawn, particularly the female protagonists. Um, and Cinderella, yeah, is is definitely the worst example of that, where she's just a just a complete drip. She's basically gets pushed around by mice, and then gets pushed around by her fairy godmother, and then gets pushed around by a prince, and then gets pushed around by her stepmother a bit, and then gets pushed around by the prince again, and he's and then they're getting married. Yay. That's Which, my summary. Yeah, that, and that is pretty much a, an accurate summary right there. Um, but yeah, I, I, so you didn't enjoy this as much watching it again? No, I didn't. I um, I don't know. I think part of it is to do with it, what it's based on. I think not offering... I think it, it's really, really hard to watch it and not compare it to the other tranche of... Um, Disney live action films that they're now starting to do, particularly Beauty and the Beast, which we've discussed on here, um, has you know a wonderful man Luke Evans um, as Gaston, Josh but, Gad as LeFou. You know, but it's apart just, from it's, those that's two, that's on a whole other level. I it's on a whole lower level um, because that film is let down by a terrible leading lady who who can't sing or act. Whereas yeah, but... whereas Lily James here um, does a really good job. Uh, with with one of the least interesting parts of source material in uh in disney lore um and still manages to make an interesting and compelling and likable character out of it whereas yeah, Emma no, her Watson act, does the her acting is yeah that's true but uh, yeah i i agree lily james's acting is the best thing about this film by far her performance is very very good and she's very very captivating but it's it it can't save a story that is very very boring, and th- where all of the worst bits have been kind of elongated and they've just kind of thrown thrown stuff in, and especially all the scenes with the prince and stuff just feel really drippy and dull. And I didn't hate it; it was it was perfectly fine, but it it didn't it did not move me in any way. Whereas you know, Beauty and the Beast, yes, Emma Watson's performance wasn't great. But I I really love the songs and I really love the the content of it so much more that Emma Watson's performance couldn't spoil it for me. If that makes sense. So yeah, I latched I've... on to Gaston and the Beast and the rest of it. Yeah, I, I mean Gaston was good. Josh Gadder's Lafayette is good. The Beast was fine. I don't think it's Dan Stevens' best work, but I don't think he really had a lot to work with. Um, but I just feel like 
with this film, Cinderella is one of the least interesting Disney movies and they made a good live action movie out of it. Whereas with Beauty and the Beast, they took maybe not the best Disney film, but definitely that top tier level and made it into a a stumbling, boring mess with lead characters that you just don't care for. And it's like, how did you manage to do that? Um, I don't understand why they, I mean, it would have been, personally, I think it would have been great if Lily James had been cast in Beauty and the Beast, given that she can sing and act. She would have been perfect, and that probably would have saved the movie. Um, But yeah, it's like, it had so much great source material that then was just such an absolute letdown. And it was like, it was every one of my fears going into the film thinking, oh no, like it, the, the, the performances look so wooden. And then lo and behold, they were apart from those few standout performances like Luke Evans. But it's like, maybe Luke Evans should have played everybody in the movie. Maybe he should have been Belle. Oh, maybe he should have been One man Beast. show. Yeah. And, th- and then that would have been amazing. I would have, I, I'd watch that every day for the rest of my life. It'd um, be like, like one of those Wales tourism adverts, except it's him just on, it's like standing on a rock. Just suddenly being Belle and then suddenly being Gaston. Yeah, be it would be it would be amazing. I totally watched that. You just Photoshop his face over all of the extras, and then you make sure that he's the main person singing in each of the scenes. Yeah, um, and every every song is the Gaston Tavern song, <laughs> just with, just with the words changed. The whole thing is like a sung through musical. You just, you just have it no as like a romantic one. major version <laughs> for um, <laughs> Taylor's <laughs> oldest time. Yeah. No one sings like Gaston. No one loves like Gaston. <laughs> Gaston, Gaston and Gaston. Gaston. <laughs> um, Disney, I would watch that. Disney, if you're interested in uh, Gaston and the Gaston, and you need We're, some um, people to write it, we are available. Right now. Yeah. Um, we, we are available if you need us. Um, yeah, we, made, we could find time in our busy schedules. <laughs> you've made worse decisions with your intellectual properties um, before. Uh, so, you know, give us a go. We won't let you yeah. down. And then maybe so- you could move us on to Star Wars, apart from it's Star Wars, but Luke Evans is playing Gaston, who is playing Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> um, well, you know, every, everyone's getting their own Star Wars trilogy these days, aren't they? I mean, I'm I'm surprised that they haven't called us yet. It's it's a bit insulting, really, to be honest. Because you know, I got on the bus this morning, and the bus driver was like, "Hey, I'm directing a Star Wars trilogy in 2022." I was like, "Great." Yeah, I mean, come on, guys, where's our Star Wars trilogy? Yeah, you know, we're I... already big friends with Guy Fieri and Sammy Hagar and all of the other, the other men, the Pan Men, <laughs> all of the other men, every <laughs> single man, we are friends with. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I've got this great idea in my head for a trilogy uh, entirely based around uh, the blue fella in uh, the cantina. Um, so come on, guys. Um, you need to give us. You need to give us this trilogy. Seriously, um, on the level, though, haven't there been like more obscure characters than the blue fella in the cantina getting their own films? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Like, we will want that Max Rebo trilogy. At least I want that Max Rebo trilogy. Is that his name, Max that, Rebo? That is his name, Max Rebo. I mean, what a great name, you know? Cool. That's a really strong name. Sounds like a, a cryptocurrency dealer. <laughs> Rebo coin. 
Um, uh, hold on, hold on. Let's I, I, because in Star Wars, right? Um, in Star Wars, every character has a ridiculously long backstory. You'll look at one person, like you know the two guys in the in the cantina who uh, Obi Wan Kenobi cuts the arm off. Um, they both have a ridiculously long backstory. So hold on, let's see if Max Rebo has a has a really long backstory. I'm just going to have a little look here. And if, um, if they aren't making the film already, then I mean the door's open. Oh my god! Actually, you know what? He only has one paragraph, so there is space for a Max Shit, Rebo trilogy. Dog. Yep. Disney, get Easy. on the phone. Yep. This this please, is all we please know. Phone us up. This is all we know in terms of canon Star Wars. Um, Max Rebo was a male autolan from Auto and a popular musician who led the Max Rebo band. He mainly played the Red Bull jet organ, which he played with his feet. He and his band often performed for criminals and otherwise sleazy clientele. And that's it. I don't know whether in the old, um, the old expanded universe novels there was a little bit more. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, there's loads here under his biography. So clearly, clearly, he had one of the expanded universe novels all to himself, or something like that. Excellent. Well, we could even That's just amazing. adapt that. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm so happy come on. to just adapt that. Cool. Um, yeah, Max Rebo band. Um, uh, we it would be like he could do like a fake um, documentary following Max Rebo and like oh. his band's broken up and then it's all about them reforming um it, on the road would, with the Max Rebo band yeah yeah imagine that it would be like some kind of nightmare the Metallica movie apart from <laughs> Max Rebo <laughs> that would be Dis- awesome Disney get in touch come on guys you know you want I actually this. I have not watched that Metallica documentary and I love Metallica so I probably should yeah, yeah what's it called was it some kind of nightmare some kind of monster Something Some like kind that. of monster, yeah, which was the name it. of one of the songs on the their terrible album, Saint Anger. Saint Anger round my neck. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that was a disappointing but kind of weird album. So I've got like, at least it was weird. At least they did some strange stuff on it. They were just like, we're going to tune everything down to C and riff out, and I don't care who knows it. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. At least it. It's at least they tried something weird with it, uh, you know. Fair play. It's it's not it's not their best work, by any stretch. In fact, yeah. it might be their worst work. But they it, they gave it a go. It's definitely their worst work. Although there is a song on, I think it's Reload called Ronnie, which is like a sort of weird country song, which is well worth listening to. Which was a big joke oh, okay. when I was at school. Me and my friend Scott, who are big Metallica fans, even then we knew it was bad. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, you fucking Ronnie. <laughs> oh, I don't know that one. I, I've, I've only, I haven't really listened to Load and Reload that much. Um, there's a cut, there's about four or five, maybe three or four really good songs on them. And the rest are terrible. But they oh, got okay. a bad, they get, they get a bad rep. They're not as bad as people make them out to be. I seem to remember the memory remains being quite good. Oh yeah, that was great. You got Marianne Faithful on the backing yeah, vocals. Yeah, with that really cool, yeah, that really cool backing vocal line. Um, yeah. I'm just going to put the microphone down one second because the cat's managed to lock herself in the kitchen like an idiot. Oh no! <laughs> so I'm going to go let her out because she's starting to meow a little bit. So she's clearly cool. a bit distressed. I'm going to um, pick up the guitar and do a, a Metallica break. Yes, do it. 
Hello, I'm back. You're back. Nice. I Couldn't put decide Minnie which to, song to play. I put Minnie up to the microphone then to see if you could hear her purring. Because she was very right. happy about being let out. But... Aww. She started to how go she... back in the kitchen, so she better not close the door on herself again. Yeah, how did she manage that? Well, she, um, I think she was just playing around in the kitchen and kind of went behind the door and then sort yeah. of slowly pushed it shut behind her. Um, she's now scurrying about like trick. a maniac. I, um, I was having dinner with my dad last night in the diner, the London chain of American diners, and they were playing a lot of Black Album Mirror Metallica while we were there. Oh, good. very nice. And he also said that the book of Captain Corelli's Mandolin is actually very good. And I trust him on that. So that's an interesting thing because we kind of slated it as well as the film, even though we hadn't seen it and assumed that the film was based on bad source material. But apparently the book's good. So, See, yeah, my my um, my slating of the book was based on the fact that it's historically inaccurate. Um, I have no I have no idea if it's badly written or anything, but it's more that the people involved in the events are very unhappy with how they were written in the book, uh, which I think is a fair criticism. You um, know what else is historically inaccurate? Cinderella. Cinderella. <laughs> it's very historically <laughs> inaccurate. Um, so, Paddy, speaking about Cinderella, previously you said that you thought that Lily James's performance was the best in the film. And as much as I love her performance in this movie, um, I don't agree that she's the best thing about this movie. Um, well, yeah, maybe not. Kate Blanchett, very good. Yeah, as, I was about to say, mom. she is a brilliant villain. Um, and she... The way she plays it is actually is a is quite different to the the typical the archetypal evil stepmother, isn't it? Because she's actually portrayed as a, this quite glamorous, if slightly cold woman who sort of cares about her appearance, and she goes to the ball as well, um, and she's like a sort of pushy mother. That element of it I did find interesting, but it was just another thing that was just sort of happening. You're just like, okay, well, it's there, whatever. Because what I really love about it is that it it um, it makes nods to uh, societal pressure of the aristocracy in that yeah. her sort of like... But it doesn't really go into enough detail on it to make it meaningful, in my opinion. No, but, but you so there's are... There's actually obviously some kind of class tension between them and between Cinderella, and they're trying to put her down and make out that she's like a poor servant when actually they're, they're like in debt to her dad or something. And that, that element of it is really interesting, but not explored. But we are, we are talking about a film that is meant um, entirely for children. And I think going too far into that detail over, here's a pretty thing, here's some mice. Children need to understand class <laughs> dynamics from an early age. They, they do. That's and I think important. that this is a good entry point into understanding those class dynamics. I, I think that Cinderella does a lot more interesting things with theme than Beauty and the Beast does, um, which is kind of just like a shot for shot bad remake of the original, making things far too long. Whereas at least here, they really changed it up from what the original film is. Um, and I think the, the the villains of the piece are what makes it um, the most interesting in that it's not just an evil stepmother being cruel for the sake of being cruel and for being this sort of like stereotypical villain. Instead, you've got this financial motive behind it um, and their, their need to marginalise Ella um, doesn't just come from being nasty, but it comes from this pressure to succeed in like ownership and, and getting a legacy through um, like a rich 
male uh, male heir and that kind of stuff. And yeah, so it, I, I think there's a lot more interesting stuff going on there. And you can see sort of like that beneath the the cool veneer of, of the stepmother, um, instead you've got this sort of panic, this constant panic that occasionally sort of rears itself um, through like microaggressions and things like that. So when she's ripping Ella's dress um, and at the end, that sheer panic when she's being found out and she realizes that she won't succeed in her plans. And there's that great moment near the end where she's explaining that, you know, Cinderella is the fairy tale, but she starts telling the fairy tale of her own life and how her husband died and she had to remarry and she didn't remarry out of love. Um, and everything that she worked hard to achieve is slipping through her fingers. And it kind of, it paints this much more tragic um, story around this character that you you still despise because she is like cartoonishly evil and like her malevolence is 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 almost palpable in the film um but there's this there's something much more much more there's much more depth there than you'd necessarily get from a villain in most even in most disney movies you know yeah that's that's true and it's nice to get a bit of the backstory on that and you do feel that she's definitely a much more complex character than you expect from those kind of disney situations but the fo- the focus isn't on her, and I don't know that she maybe gets enough screen time. Maybe she needed more screen time. I don't know. But I only felt that I felt that twinge of sympathy for her at the very end. But by then, I was bored and I wanted the film to finish, so I didn't really care. It still felt kind of long to me as well. It seemed like they, a lot of the scenes were very kind of elongated, and a lot of the scenes went on too long. And it looked amazing. Though it was one thing. It's really really nice to look at, and all the the graphics and the fairy tale parts of it worked really, really well aesthetically. I don't know, just something about it just didn't just didn't draw me in. And I think part of that is to do with it being just a very, very weak fairy tale. And it actually, I think, goes all the way back to the fairy tale itself that it's based on. Um, it's just just a bit dull, really. You know, it's one of the ones that you you maybe read when you're a kid, and you're like, okay, yeah, Cinderella, whatever. And then you you find out about other fairy tales, like um, you know, like beauty of the beast and stuff and you're like hey that's yeah and, like- I, and i think that is the film's shortcomings is that it's based on quite quite a dull original story um but i feel like this movie does enough to transcend that initial story to make it worthwhile watching so like from a purely aesthetic basis it is a beautiful film like and it's not just sort of like the fantastical cgi elements but just like the framing of certain moments is is absolutely wonderful and it's what you'd expect from like a wes anderson movie the the direction in this film is absolutely pitch perfect. Um, well, it was directed by our main man Kenneth Branagh. He's obviously he's an interesting guy. He has a lot of interesting acting, writing, and directing. Yeah, he's credits. done a he's done a, a a ridiculously good variety of things over the years. Um, one of my favourite things that he's done was um, was the adaptation of Frankenstein uh, with uh, Robert De Niro. Um, which I don't know if you've seen. It's really mm. interesting the way that they did it. I don't think it. I've seen that. Um, because it really sort of like bigs up the um, the uh, sort of like sympathetic elements of Frankenstein's monster. Um, and Kenneth Branagh is is uh, Frankenstein himself and, and directed it. And then Robert De Niro plays the monster. And it's, yeah, it's it's not necessarily the the most highly rated film but i think they did so much interesting stuff with it 
And I think a lot of that comes down to Kenneth Branagh's choices himself. Yeah, that's cool. I think he's a man who, he comes from a Shakespearean background, loves his Shakespeare and thinks of things in terms of grand theatrics, doesn't he? So I think that was that was at the forefront of his mind when directing this, perhaps more so than the attention that was needed on the script and the length of the scenes and the character development. I think he thought more about the the aesthetics and the overall pomp of it than, yeah, than it, the rest. Yeah, it does have That's that sort of me, like anyway. overly theatrical feel to it. But I think there's enough done. Per- personally, I feel like there's there's enough done with the characters to tweak it enough to make it much more interesting than its source material. But we also have to mention that Chris Weitz did the screenplay, I think. Yeah, he wrote um, the screenplay. produced it. And... Oh, and he also did <laughs> Twilight New Moon, our favourite film. I mean, so. yeah. I mean, how can you go wrong with uh, with with Twilight New Moon? I mean, it is the yeah. greatest movie. Oh, and I forget he directed The Golden Compass, which is one of the biggest crimes against <laughs> film adaptation. Did he direct it? I knew he wrote it. Oh, okay. But at the same time, he also wrote um, Rogue One, a.k.a. the best Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's a very good Star Wars movie. It's not going to be as good as On the Road with Max Rebo, obviously. That's going to blow it all out of the water. No. But... <laughs> Is that On the Road with Max Rebo, written by Paddy Johnson and Rob Gordon, uh, directed by Paddy Johnson and Rob Gordon and Richard Linklater. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've, got um, we've got to get Linklater involved. It follows Max Rebo from when he's a 12-year-old boy. Um, Is it his first band? Yeah. Um, and it's sort of... And you, and you spend the whole movie thinking, oh, wow, he's going to do something really amazing. But actually, all it is is that he then plays in the cantina. <laughs> and that's it. He, does, he doesn't make it to Wembley. He plays in the cantina. He watches Obi-Wan Kenobi cut off someone's arm. But the movie finishes before that point. It's all about him setting up for that gig at the cantina. Yeah. And then that's where it ends. The, can- the, the cantina was the peak. After that, he just becomes an alcoholic. <laughs> so yeah, Chris White's oh, interesting dear. CV. He was also involved in American Pie and About a Boy. So he's done quite a random bunch of stuff, and I don't feel like anything he's done has been a hundred percent successful, apart from maybe Rogue One. So maybe, yeah, maybe his touch on Cinderella didn't push it in the right direction. But who knows? But yeah, the script felt a bit flat to me in parts, but not terrible. There weren't any like really clunky lines or anything. I just don't think it really did enough in the characterization part because, as you say, Brandon's direction was trying to carry it from the theatricality point of view. Yeah, and I think like the issue is that if you change... Because Cinderella is an archetypal um, fairy tale. So if you changed it too much, I think then it would go in the other direction that it would feel too alien for audiences and like we're coming in from it from a nearly 30 year old adult perspective here um yeah it's it's not for us no is it? no it is for kids um it's not aimed at us and i think like if they made it too alien then then it it wouldn't work for its actual target demographic um but i feel like yeah. they they did enough with it to make it not only um more more interesting for people to watch who perhaps knew the original story quite well but also to 
to make kids think in a slightly different way about it. So it's not just about, um, oh, evil stepmother, oh, I found the prince, yay, I'm happy. Instead, you've got the, the, the earliest scenes are all about, like, family and, like, the importance of family uh, and then trying to build a family out of the broken pieces and what happens when that doesn't work. Um, and although, yeah, the core message is still that corny love story, I think there's enough there to, for, for people to actually latch on to and actually learn something about how the world operates off the back of it, particularly when it comes to no one is outright evil apart from maybe Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, he, I love that bit where he, he popped up at the end and turned into a goose. <laughs> so we we watched it um last night or the night two nights ago and um the bit when the goose turns into the um like a man to drive and he's supposed to drive the carriage and he literally says i can't drive i'm a goose claire was very upset about that she said, she <laughs> she repeated the line back to me in a very sarcastic voice she went i can't drive i'm a goose and then frowned <laughs> so I think as well because she wasn't that into it either so we were both watching it together even though like we both watched it together the last time and we both thought it was okay but yeah we both thought the same thing about it and I think if you're watching a film with someone and they're and they're taking the piss out of it that maybe colours your view a bit because maybe, she doesn't hide yeah. she doesn't hide what she thinks of a film while you're watching it but at the same time you both quite like Beauty and the Beast yes. so I think there's definitely something skewed in your house Paddy yeah, we're um we're beast biased. Have you have you tested for any um any like unknown farages scuttling about? Because obviously they make people believe in the sanctity of beasts more because then it makes people more receptive to when Farage frog monsters get out. Yeah, you you're gonna make me go outside and check the drains, aren't you? I I'd recommend it. Um I will say behind yeah. cupboards on top of wardrobes. Um, I've, already, I've already had to go outside to read the gas meter once. In the system, that's that another place where Nigel Farage likes to hang out. Yep, the poo pipe. <laughs> I wonder where, he, wonder where he gets all his ideas from. That's where. <laughs> where do you get your crazy ideas from, Nigel? Well... Oh dear. But yes, you're right. We're we're biased towards Beauty and the Beast, and it's unfair to compare them as much as I have done. But I find it difficult not to. See, I find it difficult not to as well, but in the opposite direction. In that, when I was yeah. watching Beauty and the Beast, I was thinking back to this film and thinking, oh, they managed to make something good out of Cinderella. How could they make something bad out of Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, is it to do with the songs? Do you think because Cinderella, the live-action Cinderella, has no musical numbers in it, but I think there were a couple in the in the cartoon. Yeah, maybe? yeah, a couple of oldie worldy floaty songs that are also a bit dull, but might have been a nice diversion, you know. But instead, they went down the kind of expanding the fairy tale elements route. I don't know. Yeah, do I think? think maybe that might be a part of it, but I can't. I can't sing a song from Cinderella off the top of my head. Um, so I don't I, I don't think that's necessarily a factor apart from potentially just breaking it up a little bit. Um, it's definitely a factor in my dislike of Beauty and the Beast um, because I think that's a film that could have done a lot more by losing some of the songs. But of course, that would be impossible because it's got some of the best Disney songs ever written. 
Um, but if you hire a lead actress who can't sing, don't do a musical, I'd say. It's just Disney, here's a tip. Um, if you're going to do a musical, hire people who can sing or hire Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan and Luke Evans. Yeah. Done. Um, but like, I, I think like that the, the, the casting choices for Beauty and the Beast were entirely based around popularity rather than credit. Um, and I think that's it still makes me so disappointed just thinking about that film and thinking about the people that they could have hired to play the role of Belle who would have been able to do a good job of it and made that movie a much more enjoyable experience for me and for, for lots of other people because I know lots of people who are disappointed in that film um, and a lot of it comes from the fact that the the performances weren't good enough as opposed to the direction which was fine I think the movie as a whole was quite bloated and felt overly long, but that could have been saved by decent performances. Um, and like the only one that's really bad is the lead actress. Bloated and the beast. <laughs> I feel like so like we've actually covered Beauty and the Beast quite well in this episode, so we actually probably couldn't do another episode on it, even if it did come up. Like we've actually talked about it quite a lot. So. It's true, and and also I I have no interest in ever watching that movie again, Paddy. <laughs> so you'll save me from having to watch it. Would you rather um, watch th- my watch score that for Beauty again. and the Beast would be through, <laughs> or watch the Bridges of Madison County again? I'd actually rather watch the Bridges of Madison County. I didn't even find things to make fun of in Beauty and the Beast. I just found it unbelievably depressing. I found it more depressing than Never Let Me Go. Um, Ouch. Which, Did you yeah, weep? So I, I didn't weep. I just sighed. <laughs> sighed multiple times and checked my phone. Um, Beauty and the Beast, 3 out of 20. Oh, get in the bin. Ouch. Genuinely hate that movie. Um, really, yeah, it was very disappointing for me. Um, Ouch! Yeah, because I, 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 I love the original. I, lo- I love the original film. See, I was never that attached to the original. It was okay, but I never had the video, so I'd always see it at someone else's house occasionally, rather than it being one I would return to. So I think I came to it perhaps a little bit later, and I didn't have much of an attachment to it. So seeing the live action one, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna roll with it. And it's like, just give me the Luke Evans here, and fine. And that's on YouTube well, yeah. now, so it's fine. I don't need to watch the whole bloody Gaston and Gaston (laughs) give me Gaston and Gaston but like I've I've always because every so often when it comes up I think like who would have been really good as Belle yeah Lily James would have been great as Belle um Pierce Brosnan Pierce Brosnan would have been great as Belle Luke Evans would have been great as Belle um Nicolas Cage uh, Emily Browning would have been a really good choice as well um and she she can sing too um it's like there's there's so many good actresses out there who can sing but they went for a big name who couldn't and I don't quite understand why, because that movie was always going to be successful. Yeah, it's a tough one. Like, like you can't you can't go wrong with Beauty and the Beast. They could release it starring me and you as Beauty and the Beast, and it would still hey, be a box office smash. We would have killed it. Well, we can sing. That's it's the true. thing. We already have an advantage on some of the people they hired to play and play roles in it already. We can both sing all right. Yeah. Well, you can sing very well. I can sing pretty well. Um, I think we can both sing equally well. I think I'd, I'd do a really good Mrs. Potts. Um, that, that's my dream. Uh, Disney, if you're going to remake Beauty and the Beast, and like you probably should. Come on, guys. Which needs to be done to address a lot of the issues yeah. that... Well, there, I'll, I'll be. Built. Yeah, we'll get 
Well, uh, no, I'll, I'll be Bell and Gaston. You be Bell and Gaston. And um, Rob Sherman can be Beast. I think he'd do a really good job. Um, I can be Mrs. Potts, and I can be LeFou. Um, and maybe Bell's dad <laughs> as well. Crazy old Maurice. Yeah, crazy old Maurice. I think I could do that well. It's like, yeah, come on. Um, and yeah. and yeah, Disney I've... have a lot of things that they now need to get in touch with us about. <laughs> we really <laughs> Dude, need to get in touch with us, Disney. Schedule a conference call. <laughs> we have so many ideas for you. Set up a Skype meeting. Yeah. So, oh, so dear. yeah, C- uh, Cinderella. The lack of the lack of songs makes it feel a bit boring. But like I said, the casting choices are are interesting. And Kate Blanchett was a big name, but Lily James wasn't that big at the time. Um, she she'd done a few things, but this was kind of, this was a a bigger break for her. I think the two ugly sisters aren't that well known. Um, the guy who played her dad, I didn't recognise, although I, or maybe I recognised him vaguely. Um, and then you got Derek Jacobi. He's great. Love him. Yeah, I think like. In, back in 2015, it was still kind of like the test run for Disney for its live action it movies. A, it was a simpler time. Yeah, they were still sort of like testing the water a little bit. And this was like their first big foray into the movies that you think of as being overwhelmingly Disney. So like I, I know before that they did um, Alice in Wonderland, the, the terrible Alice in Wonderland. I movies. never saw it. I thought it looked awful. It, it was awful. Um, it, like... Uh, like the the lead actress was good uh maya what's her face i've forgotten the name of um she was good as as alice but i mean it was just it was another phoned in johnny depp johnny depp performance that kind of you know what you're getting (laughs) basically he's off the list johnny depp yeah he's not allowed (laughs) well i think we did we leave him on trash (laughs) island yeah yeah, I thought we left him on Trash Island. Um, he is currently up a tree in Trash Island, trying to drink, <laughs> trying to drink milk from a sour coconut. <laughs> Where's all the rum gone? There was none. We didn't give you any. <laughs> Get in the bin. Um, and and yeah, um, so like, yeah, that and so the names in this aren't that big at the time. I think like you've. You've got the likes of, yeah, Derek Jacobi. You've got Stellan Skarsgård again. Um, yeah, you don't get to see his bum this time around. No, you don't get to see his bum. Um, but yeah, sort of like you've got you've got Richard Madden from Game of Thrones. You've got uh, Nonzo Anozi, who played the captain, who's also from Game of Thrones. You've got Helena Bonham Carter, who's a big name. Kate Blanchett, who's a big name. Um, of, co- of course it was Helena Bonham Carter but... as the very godmother. Again, why did they make her do like her creepy, creepy old woman thing? Did did she just want to do that because that's like what she does, or like that that felt really incongruous and stupid to me? Well, I, I... And she goes into the garden and it's like, "Hello, creepy old woman." No, actually, I'm your fairy godmother. And then they spend ages inflating the pumpkin, and it's like, guys, get on with it. We know what's going to happen. Yeah, and again, it's those kind of moments that I think are primarily made for like the imagination of kids to be like, "Oh yeah, look, it's the magic bit." And I'm like, oh, I don't care about this. Go back to, go yeah. back to, um, go back to the evil stepmother because she's the most interesting thing. Um, but the, uh, but the, I think the, I... the comedy of that felt incongruous compared to the seriousness of the rest of the film. But, uh, but 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 again, I think that's more to do with who it's for. Is you can't have a really depressing movie about 
like abuse <laughs> and and be like hey kids this is a fairy tale well, it's a really hard it's a tough line to walk with fairy tales isn't it because there are there's also this sort of weird subgenre of like gritty fairy tales reimagined for adults like snow white and the dickhead <laughs> huntsman or um mirror mirror or whatever and all of them always look absolutely bloody awful and like so it's a good job that they didn't do that because they could easily have ended up going down that route although disney would never no, do that yeah but it still felt like it could it felt like it could have tipped over into that kind of film if it didn't rein itself in and go actually it's for kids so we're going to make it a bit silly and incongruous instead like it's, yeah, it's a and, I, and i i yeah i, I personally think for the for the target audience they were making it for i think they handled it quite well um yeah i just but yeah i think like they didn't really hire any major big names for it but i think that kind of works in its favor because they are able to hire people based sheerly on purely on the, the sheer quality of their performance um which i think definitely worked yeah. and like it allowed you to be lost a little bit in the world rather than Sorry to go back to Beauty and the Beast, but it's not Belle you're looking at; it's Emma Watson. And like, there's never that that immersion. There's never that immersion. You never see her as Belle. It's just oh, okay, it's Emma Watson, and and she's singing. Okay, yeah. Um, whereas here, like, you don't see it and think, oh, it's Lily James or oh, it's Kate Blanchett. And like, even though Kate Blanchett is a big name, she like loses herself in the role, and like, you kind of get immersed in the story as a whole. Um, which I think really worked in its favour. Yeah. Um, but like even the sort of like the smaller um the smaller roles in it. So you've got like Holiday Granger and and Sophie McShearer who have both done like decent things since. So um stuff like Downton Abbey or Great Expect or, or like uh Holiday Granger was previously on Great Expectations um and uh was in Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams as well, which was really good. Um, oh, okay. And so, like, there's, yeah, there, there's, there's quite a lot of talent in like the minor roles in this film, even though like it's not any yeah. major names, as it were. Their um, their their performances are, are good. You know, I think just overall, it's yeah, it's too too theatrical and too focused on the aesthetic, and the story is just a bit wooden for me. And the the music is never quite melodic enough either. It always just feels like generic fairy tale music i think i've been spoiled by having recently seen a lot of films like as we talked last week about how good the score was in the shape of water and then you come and watch something like this and you're like actually it's just a bit you know they could have tried harder even though they're completely different films so i know that's really unfair but i was thinking i was thinking about it it was on my mind but i i think you're right though in that you can always it doesn't matter what kind of film you have you can always have an outstanding score like there's always the opportunity to have an outstanding score so yeah I, I definitely agree even like the sort of like background music i can't think of anything that was particularly memorable about cinderella apart from like the tune that lily james sings but that's an old folk song anyway exactly yeah and so yeah it's just like the the music is a definite and it's not what you expect from a disney movie you expect something memorable even though the original film didn't have anything particularly outstanding um you you'd have thought they'd have tried to do something a little bit more with it um and like it it's kind of an issue with films in general that don't try to do anything amazing 
often it's the scores that suffer the most. And you can kind of tell that Disney was kind of playing it safe with Cinderella. Um, and nothing's more obvious than when it comes to the score. And it's the same thing that happens with a lot of Marvel movies as well, is that like, you think about sort of like the great scores of like Indiana Jones or Star Wars or stuff like that. You've got these really memorable scores. Yet, in spite of the fact that the Marvel movies universe is unbelievably successful, like makes so much money, so unbelievably popular in terms of bums in seats, I can't think of a of a theme tune to a, to a Marvel movie apart from like you've got Guardians of the Galaxy, which had a really great score. You've got Black Panther that had a really great yeah. score. Ken- but Kendrick for a lot Lamar. of the films, yeah, for a lot of the films, it's just like you can't even think of it it's just there in the background and and cinderella kind of had that same issue yeah it was back background music functioning as background music and absolutely nothing more yeah exactly so yeah that that just felt a bit flat to me but you know what cinderella does have an emotional dad speech it does have an emotional dad speech Um, So that brings it up, you know, two or three points on the big boys don't cry scale. (laughs) We do love an emotional dad speech. And it's a pretty good emotional dad speech, isn't it? Obviously, it's it's let down by the fact that it doesn't include any, like, shoehorned in baseball metaphors. But, you know, as it's a fairy tale, I'll let them off. Or, like, yeah, they could have had, like, I don't know, stool ball. Something like that. Slightly (laughs) more fantastical. Stick ball. Um, or, um, and 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 even better, even better. Cinderella also has an emotional mum speech. You've got double parental emotional speech in this film. Yeah. Um, what more could you want? What more? What more could you want? Apart from a plot that's interesting, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Apart from the fairy tale that's more than just the the kind of the most rudimentary and uninteresting elements of a fairy tale and very little more to go on those bones i don't know i feel i feel like i still haven't been able to fully put my finger on why it was but it just it just felt flat and boring to me not terrible i didn't i wasn't i wasn't hating it but i was looking forward to it finishing and me going to bed maybe i shouldn't have watched it in an evening after work when i was tired it is next time i'll watch it in the morning it is a film that works well in a yeah, in like a lazy morning kind of situation um, where it's just like you're there with a cup of tea and you're just like, oh, yeah, Cinderella. Um, which I'm sure is what Kenneth Branagh was going for. <laughs> yeah, Kenneth Branagh would only work on Sundays, so it took them 12 <laughs> years to make. <laughs> uh, I'd love to see Kenneth Branagh do Boyhood. That'd be great. I'd I'd get on board with that. Yeah, a very a very kind of theatrical and Shakespearean epic look at you know, yeah a young man's life. It'd be great. He wouldn't he wouldn't become just a boring loser, um, which is which is a bonus. He'd go on to be like the king or some crazy bollocks like that. He definitely <laughs> become. At the very least, he'd become a prince. Yeah, exactly. Whereas instead, it's boyhood's just like oh look he's. Hey, look, it's a Richard Linklater movie where the main character ends up being a slacker. Who'd have thunk? <laughs> what, a, what an unbelievable Shia Man-esque twist. Yeah. 
So live action Disney, they're doing The Lion King next year, summer 2019. Although, surely, right, The Lion King live action is a bit of a misnomer because isn't it going to be like CGI stuff or are they going to get people just to dress up like lions? I honestly have no idea. Like, yeah, but I'm very confused about it as well. Like, are they going to get real lions and like train them and stuff or... I don't... Yeah, I honestly don't know. Or are they just going to get real lions and do a lot of um, a lot of CGI on them? Who knows? But it's got a good cast. Donald Glover, Simba, Beyonce as Nala. James Earl Jones reprising his role as Mufasa. Yeah, it looks it looks good. I'm I'm intrigued, but again, I think it has classic songs that people like and really identify with. So I think it's going to end up being just like Beauty and the Beast. Whereas if they don't absolutely nail the performances or one of them's a bit off, people are going to hate it. It's true, but again, a bonus. Donald Glover can sing. And obviously Beyonce can sing. Yeah. So that puts it in a good stead already. Um, it feels like a more full, more foolproof casting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and like, yeah, my, my one concern is, like, I want to see Donald Glover wearing a bad lion suit. That's what I want. <laughs> I want him dressed up like a Halloween lion, and that's how I want them to do it. But I imagine that it's going to be like CG lions. You mean like the derp lion? Like, yeah, like the derp lion. <laughs> um, that's what I. That's what I want out of it. But you know, we'll have to see what what comes out at the other end. Um, they're also doing yeah. Aladdin live action, aren't they? I believe so. Yes, and Mulan as well. And Mulan, which will be cool. Yeah, which will be good. And obviously, hopefully, give them a chance to address again some potentially. You know, issues around cultural appropriation and sensitivity in those two films. Mulan in particular, I think people are worried about the the potential for whitewashing in the casting or something. But I'm open to both B and just want to see how it goes. Yeah, I think I think Disney has slowly been learning its lessons in terms of whitewashing casting. Um, so hopefully they'll do something good with it and it's they really should i don't know i think i think now thankfully you have to be a lot more concerned about those kind of things um which is which is really good and so hopefully disney will be like okay yeah let's let's hire some people who are actually appropriate for these roles <laughs> Yeah, which, to be fair, on the last few animated films, they have done. They did it with Moana. They did it. They they tried very, very hard to do it with Coco. And I think some people still feel that there are issues with Coco. But have you seen it? I haven't seen it. But yeah, from what I what I've read about it, actually, they did a really good job in terms of um, involving sort of like the culture behind the music and the cast and everything like that in a really good way. I loved it. I thought it was a really, really wonderful wonderful film and i highly recommend it um and maybe it's not 100 percent perfect but it's i felt like they really really tried so you know from this point on hopefully they're gonna get it right but really all i want out of them is a live action remake of the black cauldron and then i'll be happy i mean that would be amazing um yeah but yeah Alad aladdin from what i gather about the casting of that so far they've done a really good job um which is a good sign 
Um, they've cast Pierce Brosnan as Aladdin, right? Yeah, Pierce Brosnan as Aladdin. No, um, they've yeah they've done a really good job with the casting. Um, although Will Smith's going to be the genie, which is going to be interesting. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be a slightly different feel to the genie to Robin Williams, of course. But I think maybe they need that. Um, yeah. I don't think you could necessarily try and go for the same style because of Robin Williams was entirely unique. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could easily end up. You've got to make that role your own. Haven't yeah, you? definitely. Now, having seen it on stage, the guy who does who plays the genie on stage really managed to make it his own and make it not quite like he wasn't trying to be Robin Williams. So they can learn lessons from the stage show as well. There, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and looking at the Mulan live action, they have hired someone from China to play Mulan. So Good. well done, Disney. You haven't hired. <laughs> Sounds like it should be the most obvious step. You haven't but, hired yeah. Emma Watson to play Mulan. Um, oh God. <laughs> which, like, I think about a decade ago, you could probably see something similar happening, couldn't you? Yeah, they'd they'd have tried to get away with it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about the fact that Captain Crowley's Mandolin came out in 2001. And they still had Nicolas Cage, you're being Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote your yeah, song because I love you. <laughs> you could, yeah, you could see them doing like a 2000 adaptation of Mulan, live action Mulan, uh, with like Liv Tyler as Mulan. You could see that happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, whereas, yeah, it looks like they've... Like they've... Ray Winston as the, who's the Hun, the Hun leader, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> oh god um disney if you're looking for ideas about what, what to what not to do get in touch with us yeah this is this we'll add this to the agenda for the conference call yeah we'll, we'll give you pointers in movies you could have made back in 2000 but if you did it now you'd be crucified yeah i genuinely really would like to see someone disney or otherwise have another crack at the black cauldron though because the, the books, I think they're even out of print now, but I read them and they're really great and really weird and strange. Um, they're almost a bit kind of Wizard of Earthsea-ish. They're really, really great stories, but based on like Welsh folklore. I think they were quite, they ended up being weirdly popular in the US and, or maybe the author was American. Um, anyway, and the, the, the film obviously kind of weirdly took a, a strange chunk of the first two books and mashed it all together. Um, but didn't really like the, the the books follow the hero all the way through kind of early boyhood through to adulthood. It's kind of like a fantasy boyhood almost. <laughs> so maybe we should get Richard Linklater to do yeah, it. Yeah, I'd be on board. But I I would um, actually really like someone to have a crack at that because I know it's regarded as like the film that nearly killed Disney. But I really like it and have a nostalgic connection to it, and the books are good. So someone someone needs to get on that. I'll do it. Yeah, I think I think the Black Cauldron. It's it's got a bit of a cult following now, um, and sort of people have started recognizing that actually it was a it was a pretty damn good movie, um, much more so than um, I know people love it. But as I've said before, Tron's quite boring. It's not that I've still still never seen and it. And like the Black Hole is another one. They, they, there was a series of major missteps in the eighties from Disney. Um, and yeah, the, the Black Hole was an interesting but flawed movie that nobody went to go and see as well. And so, so there's a lot of films that have gained a cult following, but at the time just didn't resonate at all with audiences. Yeah. And I'd also like them to try and do Oliver and Company as well, because also it's dogs and cats and everyone loves dogs and cats and it'd be super cute. 
But the songs are really good. They're banging tunes. Yeah, who were they by? I've forgotten. Uh, B- Billy Joel. That's did it, most Billy of them. Joel, yeah. Yeah. He did. He voiced Dodger the dog. I'd like to see them do that, but do a really gritty version based on the Charles yeah. Dickens novel. But with, the, with all the same songs, but the rest is just really like yeah. grim Dickensian <laughs> grit. Just... It's it's all the same songs, but performed by Radiohead with an accordion for company. <laughs> but performed as dogs. So Tom York is like... I can see Tom York is like a chihuahua. Yeah. There... And he's just there in the background singing these songs. <laughs> <laughs> there is the chihuahua in that film. As you know, my, my favourite line, which he says, Hey man, if this is torture, chain me to the wall. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Mexican stereotype chihuahua. Yeah. Again, another thing that would have to be addressed in the live-action remake. Unless he was played by Danny Trejo. That'd be cool. I could get on board with it if it was played by Danny Trejo. I could go for that. At least they don't have... uh, They don't make Fagin into, like, an anti-Semitic depiction of a Jew in their thing, like they do in the Oliver Twist, the musical. It's true. (laughs) It's true. They don't. So that's something, you know. You got to with Disney. You got to take the small victories where you find them. You do, and 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 at least, yeah. As another benefit of Cinderella is, there's no absolute horrible racism to be found. No, which is a bonus. Although I think it's unfair to geese to suggest that they can't drive. Yeah, I mean, have you ever tried to get a, a goose to drive a carriage? Yeah, a goose drove me to work just this morning. There we go. You see, Disney. If you'd done a little bit of yeah. research, maybe you would have been... Oh, no, sorry. It wasn't a goose. It was Ryan Gosling. Oh, a young goose. <laughs> yeah. When they uh, when they get old, they lose the ability to drive. Yeah. Much like people. It's a well-known fact. No, geese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, shall we, shall we sum up? Have you got any interesting... Anything interesting to share? I don't think I have anything else to say on this, really. No, I think I've covered everything. The, my last point was just going to be that it's good that there's an emotional dad speech, and it does, um, you know, give a bit of character, a bit of depth to the emotional parent speeches. Do lend it a level of emotional depth that is nice, and I'd imagine is appealing and affecting for its intended child audience. But yeah, for me, I just found it a little bit dull and a little bit flat. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I have to say in some. How about you? Have you got any trivia or any other random random stuff? Yeah, I mean, at first I just like to point out that yeah, I agree with you in terms of the the the, the, the sort of like emotional speeches are something that again is missing from the original film, and I think it makes it maybe makes it resonate a little bit, um, uh, a little bit more uh, interesting for audiences. Um, but yeah, um, let's have I got any interesting factoids for you? Um, so Lily James originally auditioned for a role of one of the sisters before being cast as Cinderella. Ah. Um, there's lots of facts about the dress, which are not very interesting, which I'm going to skip over. But if you want to know about how many yards of fabric were used. The blue dress. Yes. Yeah, it, it does look amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The costume design in this film again is really good from a yeah. from a from a visual perspective. It's very interesting. The flaws in it come from the the plot. I'd say the costume design is like Oscar worthy. It's it's amazing. 
Well, it was nominated for an Oscar, wasn't it? Yeah. Best Goose. Yeah. Best Goose. <laughs> um, aside from that, I can't be bothered. This movie doesn't deserve trivia. It's an enjoyable film. Yeah. But... Oh, oh, apparently Emma Watson was in talks to star as the title character, but a deal could not be worked out with Disney. Uh. Uh, Bullet dodged Disney on this movie. Unfortunately, you then went on to cast her in another film where she'd have to sing. <laughs> I was because... going to say, at least she wouldn't have had to sing in this part. Yeah, but uh, she would have to act, though. Hmm. I don't she... think she's as bad as everyone says she is. I don't think yet... she's good but I don't think she's as terrible as she's made out to be. I've yet to see her in anything where I've thought of her as a, as good, which given her... Have you seen The Perks of Being a Wallflower? No, I haven't. I thought her performance in that was competent. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that, that's what you want out of someone is competency. Um, yeah. No, if, but, if but, not actually good. But given, given her status in the industry, though, I'd be expecting a lot more for someone of that tier. Um, and like, like I like her as a person and I think a lot of the stuff she does outside of acting, I really respect. But yeah. She seems, she seems nice. She seems, cool. she seems to have her head screwed on the right way, which is really good. But yeah, yeah, I just, I can't enjoy her acting in anything. Um, and it turns out I can't enjoy her singing either. Um, so Singing. I'm looking forward to her rapping. <laughs> yeah. Um, In the uh, the reboot of Black Panther. <laughs> she could take on um, the role of Martin Freeman, apart from the whole time it's just terrible white person rapping. Yeah. In the, the like rocket ship thing, just doing a little rap. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm going to come and kill you, Killmonger. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, that's the little factoid. Uh, they tried to get Emma Watson, but she they couldn't reach a deal, so they hired someone who I personally think is better. Um, someone better, yeah, um, which cool. is good. Um, so good fact. So, um, yeah, uh, shall we, shall we move on to rating? Yes, you got any, you got any thoughts for? For the scale, uh, how many glass slippers would you leave behind at the ball? Oh, well, you know, I, I've got many feet, so you know, <laughs> I'm like a, I'm like a, like an octopus. Um, I'm going to give it a nine out of twenty. Uh, it seems that there's poss possibly a little uncharitable, but it I didn't quite make it into double figures. It's almost there. It's competent. It's all right. It's not from. It's not aimed at me, and I have to, admit, I have to acknowledge that. But yeah, it it bored me. So a nine is where it's at. See, I see. I I I'm not like an octopus, but instead I just like having lots of spare shoes with me in case they break. Because glass slippers, but you don't want to walk in them because the slightest misstep and they shatter. So you need a lot of backup pairs. It's a big. You know, I always think that when the it's like the the ugly sisters are trying to force it onto their feet, you're just like it would break. It's gonna break, and you're gonna get blood all over everything, you idiots. Can't force it. Um, so, so I I I left behind uh, fifteen glass slippers at the ball. It's like a like a trail of breadcrumbs, uh, so that the prince could find me. 
That's that's quite high. Surprisingly high. Yes, yeah. I I think like I think, I think the movie is a is a visual spectacle. It's a kind of film where I'd probably love it if I was a kid as well. Um and um and yeah, I think they given the the notoriously dull source material, I think they did a really good job of towing that line between adding interesting elements and still making it recognizable as the original thing. I think I'm just going to quickly add a column to the spreadsheet and make a um, make a calculation, but I think that's the biggest point disc- discrepancy ever in podcast history, like between our our scores. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, just looking up and down. Okay, Elizabeth Town had a differential of five, so I gave it a thirteen. You gave it an eighteen. Um, Coming to America had a differential of five. You gave it a fifteen. I gave it a ten. Which, in, in retrospect, I think was actually a bit mean of me on that one. Um, the Notebook, you gave a thirteen. I gave a nine. <laughs> so that's a differential of four. <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the biggest differential in podcast history. The six. Oh wow! Wow. Do you think we're ever going to reach a film where one of us gives it a twenty or one of us gives us a one? I really hope so. We need to find more. Yeah, we need to find more like polarizing films. <laughs> but I think it kind of sums up um, the different aspects of films that we appreciate more, as well. So, like, you often come for things very much from like a story, a character-based um, angle, um, whereas I often really enjoy things if they're they're visually very interesting. Or if they they do things behind the scenes in a sort of like thematic manner, and I think that and 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 that divide really shows where this movie fails and where it succeeds. So I think like all, we kind of agree on what works and what doesn't work. It's just what we enjoyed more, um, based on our personal sort of like interests in cinema. Yes, it, it is it is revealing in an interesting way. Yeah, you know, the the politics of minor difference. Um, a lot of the time we do agree, but we always manage to kind of sort of debate things anyway, don't we? Yes, yeah. That's good. But yeah, that's a that's an interesting, interesting differential. Cool. So my choice next. So yeah, I don't think this is going to be one that's going to rock the boat with either of us. But I feel like it's time for Mean Girls. Oh, mate. Yes, 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 yes. I feel like we've been in need of something something properly light-hearted and funny for quite some time. Um especially since the last kind of out and out comedy we watched was Table 19, which was bad. <laughs> so so like, So yeah, I think it's it's a real it's classic in a number of ways, especially I think for people our age it's well loved. So I think it's a it's time. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Do you have anything else to add or um, shall we shall we button this up i think yeah let's i've realized that we're this is going to be quite a long episode i know that there's been that slight deviation where i helped the cat escape but uh but yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think we spent probably 15 times as much time talking about jacob reese mogg and fish as we did to you you helping the cat out (laughs) but that's part of the course um but yeah let's i think we should call it a day um just i'm Keep coming with your amazing Nicolas Cage videos um, and, yeah, enjoy. Uh, we we want to see lots of fun stuff from you all. Yes, please do get involved with the hashtag Cage Challenge. If you go on our Twitter, there's a, 
an image that tells you what to do and includes a link to download the video file for you to put music over. We we want to hear them. Get involved with the Cage Challenge. And with anything else, as always, um, drop us an email at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at bigboysdon'tpod and leave us a review and a, and, uh, a nice rating on wherever you get your podcasts from because it really does help us. You know, It helps us to know that what we're doing here is worthwhile and appreciated and helps helps our numbers to grow. So, thank you. Yes, yeah, thanks very much, everybody. Cool. Well, we'll be back next week to talk about Mean Girls. Alrighty. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.